0: So for those who are online, it's great to welcome you. If you're listening online, it's great to have you as part of the service and we trust that God uh, will speak to you as uh, as he speaks to us uh, gathered here uh, this morning. Last week and uh, in the current season, trying to keep warm, uh, there were three boxes of uh, um, patio heaters that were at the back of the hall and uh, as, uh, as uh, I arrived uh, early, we decided that we would put one of them together, and uh, Fred Marburg was helping me. We spent half an hour trying to work it out, and uh, just working out how to put it all together. We got it all together, had it all bolted and all nicely done, and we hadn't checked the detail of the basics of how you put one of these together. And one very minor but very significant thing, we realised we had the nice. Uh, Stainless steel cover that's about 100 mil away from the gas heater. Still had the nice plastic film on both sides, and we, that would have been fine. We could have just peeled it off, but it was all clamped together where it joined. It had three sections, so we spent another quarter of an hour dismantling uh, the, uh, the the stainless steel uh, reflector shield at the top, peeling all that and putting it all back together. Um, but that wasn't all. In terms of the importance of basics, we would put the centre together. The controls are on one side, on the top half, and then uh, the instructions, had I read them, said to put the controls the same side as the instructions. Well, there were four bolts holding that. We realised the instructions are on this side and the controls are on this side. And we thought, well, for those who don't know how to work one of these, we better fix that. So the importance of basics were shown up to me last week uh, and getting things right by following how things should be. But I also have experienced, and for some of you, it's a while, I know I have touched on this story before, but in sport and in any area of activity, the basics are equally important in any uh, field of life. And uh, I've never been a uh, a regular golfer in in any uh, real regular way, Uh, but uh, when uh, I was planning to... uh, start here at Allgate about four years ago. I'd, my golfing learning had been tips from friends who had probably played a little bit more than me. Every time I had a game with someone, I'd buy another golf magazine and read the page on, on how to get your swing right or how to get the putt right, and I'd be thinking, have a couple of hits before I went out to have the game and try and think about how to put this information uh, together. But when I went um, the pro at... Uh, Uh, Mount Lofty four years ago I went to have a lesson and uh, walked out onto the first uh, tee and I said to him thinking oh I'm doing pretty well I've learned a lot of stuff over the 30 years of playing about five times a year I said I'll just have a couple of swings and you tell me what I'm doing wrong so he let me have one swing and he tapped me on the shoulder he said Robin put your club down I don't want you to touch it for a week and he gave me an exercise to do 50, of 50 things that taught my body to just move and flow together. Do 50 of these morning and night, which I dutifully did do. And I came back the next week and uh, just with that basic body movement that I'd learnt without even a golf club in my hand, the, I just didn't even try to hit the ball hard. And, and a couple of the balls just uh, just seemed to fly down the fairway because I'd got the basics right. And it's the same in the church, it's the same in your, li- in your life. Our topic this morning is building on Christ alone. And in the scriptures, it talks about the cornerstone and that Christ uh, is the cornerstone. And the cornerstone is uh, in any masonry building, it's the first stone that gets laid. And every brick, every block that is laid is laid in line with um, how that cornerstone has been laid. And the whole structure is determined by the position of of that cornerstone. And the Scriptures make it very clear that Jesus uh, and Christ is our cornerstone. In 1 Peter uh, 2 verse 6, in the Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, meaning Christ, will never be put to shame or will never be terrified, it says in some, in some versions. And it's a quote from Isaiah 28 that goes on to say, I'll make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Jesus stands for those things and our lives need to be shaped by who Jesus is and uh, what he has done. And the prophets uh, foretold that Christ would come And he is the one who our church community and our lives uh, need uh, to be based on. So the question we're dealing with this morning is what does it mean for our church and for our lives to be shaped by Christ alone, for him to be the cornerstone of our lives, for him to be the cornerstone of our church? In Romans 13, it says, uh, clothe yourselves uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the passage that we're going to look at for a moment, to see what, there's many passages we could have chosen this morning, but the passage we're going to look at is in Ephesians 2. And the verses I'm reading are following on from where uh, Paul emphasises that Jews and Gentiles, you can't imagine a more diverse bunch of people, are brought together in one community by the person of Jesus, by the work of the cross, uh, by the grace of God, by the spirit of God. And he builds us into one community. It's like bringing Palestinians and Jews together. And I've heard testimonies of a Pal- an ex-Palestinian Hamas fighter uh, who, who did the funeral uh, for a Jewish uh, teenager who had been killed in the conflict that had been going on because they were one in Christ They were brought together, and that's the background to what Paul is saying in these verses, and I'm starting at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2, where Jew and Gentile are brought into one body. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, which is done uh, in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, uh, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he goes on to say, for he himself, think of someone who is completely different to you in this church, in another church. Think of someone you struggle with because of their theology, their attitude, uh, whatever it is, that is a brother and sister in Christ. And just think of them as I'm reading this. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace." And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the same Father by one Spirit. And then the key passage in relation to building um, our lives and our church on the cornerstone of Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The four key things that we're going to look at this morning show us how we can, as a church, be built in uh, to a community, a healthy community that is can be the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, that we can build a community that not just for this generation but for generations to come can be a testimony uh, to the grace of God and bring people uh, into the family of God. And what it'll, we'll be looking at what it is for your life Uh, to be shaped by the person of Jesus and, and his grace. So building on Christ alone is the focus of what we're looking at. And the first thing for us as a church, for you, each of you as individuals, for all of us as individuals, is if we are going to build on the cornerstone and be shaped by who Jesus is We need uh, to live our our lives in response to God's love revealed in the person of Jesus who came and lived and died and brought his grace and forgiveness and did all that he could that we could become part of his family Uh, and uh, we need to live our lives in response to that love. In Ephesians 2, a few verses before, the ones I read before, it says, but because of his great love, um, having saying that we're, we're no longer under the wrath of God, but because of his great love, uh, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace uh, you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Can you hear the heart of God coming through? What Christ has done, we'll be remembering later in the service, we'll be remembering particularly his sacrifice that he gave for us. And then it goes on in verse 10 a little later. For we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But if we are to live our lives in response to God's love, we need to realise how we've been embraced by the love of God. And one of the first things this morning I want to say to you, that God's grace, his word of love, his word of forgiveness, his word of acceptance, that he is speaking to all of humanity, is a word that you are loved, you are forgiven because of what Christ has done. In John 3.16, for God so loved, and we hear that verse so often, and then verse 17 says, for Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. How often are the Christians giving uh, just that one message that there's a, a sense of condemnation? The message that you need for your neighbour, for your family member, for people uh, around you uh, is that they are loved by the living God. That every human being on the planet is loved by God himself. And we're embraced by the Father The story of the prodigal son, often called the prodigal son. Others have called it the waiting father. I'd like to call it the story of God's loving embrace. Here's someone who had done the worst thing he could do in Jewish culture. Suddenly realises, as he thinks of his father and his love and all the things that he could have been enjoying in his father's presence, comes home and his father runs down the road and embraces him and does uh, even before he's... In the courtyard or even knocking on the door at home, he sees him in the distance and runs towards him and embraces him. That's the story of how God sees you. Let that soak in as foundational if you like, a cornerstone of what it means to be shaped by the love of God, by the person of Christ. This is what Christ is coming and speaking uh, to all of humanity that God is reaching out and ready to embrace you in his love. And let that Respond to that as you think about it and let it soak into your heart. Just let that uh, be something that you begin to respond to in your own heart initially. And just spend time, you might just lie on your bed at home and just meditate on the fact that you're loved by God. Don't do anything other than just remember that. And then uh, begin uh, to live out of that uh, realisation. Let that begin to shape all your decisions, all your relationships Choices in ministry, in the life of the church. Where can, where can you express the love of God through the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives all people? Um, what gift is it that he's given you that expresses uh, the charisma, uh, gifts of grace that God gives to communicate his love uh, to those uh, around you? And the book of James is, uh, uh, is a book that says uh, how important it is that if you really do know the love of God, no one will come to you and say, I have, uh, I, you know, I'm in desperate need, I'm hungry, and you say, be warmed and filled, uh, and you don't do anything to help them. The question James asks is, how can you say the love of God dwells in your heart if you don't respond and do something to make a difference in that person's life? I think sometimes in the church and in the Christian faith, we can complicate the fact that God loves us. There's a place for doctrine and for articulating the faith and explaining what it means and giving all the detail about what it is. We need to wrestle with those things. There's a place for those things. But when you're wanting to tell someone that you love them, all those facts, all those details, all those truths that are absolutely true uh, often don't communicate the the love, the the fact that that, uh, you or your neighbour or someone up the street is loved by the living God. I shared in the first uh, service an example of if someone is given a kiss, it's a wonderful thing. If it's a kiss of a friend, a kiss of a lover, whatever it is, if you receive a kiss, it communicates something powerful. But let me describe um, a kiss to you uh, in scientific factual terms. What's happening is several muscles move your lips around: zygomaticus major and zygomaticus minor, and lavator labii superioris pull your upper lip and the corners of your mouth upward. Depressor labii and inferior, and depressor anguli oris pull the corners of your mouth and your lower lip downward. This is describing a kiss, a wonderful thing if you receive a kiss, but if you're just given the facts. It doesn't say anything that communicates if a, if a lover described what they, what they were talking about. It just doesn't make sense to do it. And then it begins to talk about the oxytocin, the dopamine, the serotonin, the adrenaline, all these things that are stimulated by a kiss. And it's all wonderful. But the facts, are, there's a place and a time to look at those things. But you just want to know your friend, your lover, your husband, your wife, they just give you a kiss. And it speaks so much. I want to say to you this morning, in the person of Jesus, in the cross of Christ, in the elements that we'll receive uh, this morning, are reminding us that you are loved uh, by the living God. That's a message for us this morning. It's a message for every human human being on this planet, that God loves you in the person of Jesus, and he just wants you to respond and begin to live your life out in the way that God has loved you to let that shape how you treat others around you. Secondly, if Christ is the cornerstone and he's the only foundation, if we're building our lives on Christ alone, we need to live authentic lives before God and each other. In Ephesians 2.18, the verse that I read earlier, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Because of what Christ has done, you can just break into God's throne room, if you like, and just be in his presence because of the grace that God has given you. And in Hebrews 4:16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. It's the whole sense of coming openly into God's presence and just being real in his presence, confessing your sins, sharing your joys, being true to all of who you are as a person. I've got a slide up there uh, of an iceberg. And everything that we do uh, is shaping how we are treating others, how we respond to God, how we respond to other people in the church. Um, it's all there. If, and the, one of the saddest things that divide churches, that cause friction, is hypocrisy and dishonesty. And the first place where we need to be real, open, and honest is in God's presence. We come to God. We tell him when we're angry. We tell him when we are frustrated. We tell him when we are joyful. We tell him when we're in awe of his creation. We tell him uh, what we are struggling with. We tell him our frustration with, our, with somebody in our family or somebody in the church. We pour all that out to God because it's shaping who you are. You might as well be real uh, in God's presence. This sermon is is shaped by everything in my life since I came to faith at 11 years of age. All the scriptures I've read, the times I've read the Bible, the, the books that I've read, the ministry people that I've talked to, people who have sown into my life, the things God's spoken to me at different times. More recently, uh, it's, uh, there's, there's things from... 24 lectures on Luther that are going to get a brief mention in this sermon. Um, the only way I would listen to lectures or the only, sorry, the only way I would exercise on a cross trainer was to have something to do other than be on a cross trainer. If I'm just on the cross trainer, I'll last five, maybe seven minutes. If I've got a half-hour lecture, I'm focused and I'm just doing and I'm going and that's, that's the only thing that will keep me exercising. And, I, and th- those sort of things are, 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 the, are, are sewing in to what I'm saying to you this morning. 14 lectures uh, 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 from recently looking at what it means to be uh, the kind of people God wants us to be. All these things, and all you're hearing this morning is a half-hour summary of all those background things. And so when we come into God's presence, everything about your past, everything about who you are is shaping how you're interacting and responding to those around you. And it needs to, first of all, we need to not pretend in God's presence. Be real and open, open and honest. David, who was a man after God's own heart, had committed the worst sins possible, potential adultery, a murder, um, and yet because he was contrite and realised he had sinned against um, God himself and he had confessed those things, he came humbly into God's presence. He was called a man after God's own heart. Intimacy comes with God, not when you get everything right, but when you're real and open in his presence about everything uh, in your heart. The joys, the sorrows, the emotions, the hard times. The book of Psalms is a classic example. Um, I won't go through them all, but uh, the Psalmist, and you could pick out Psalms, and I've got references here, but I won't spend time going through them all. The psalmist comes before God with his loneliness and feeling totally isolated. Um, he comes to God with his love I love you, Lord, uh, my strength. He comes with his awe, he comes with his sorrow, with his regrets, with his frustrations. Um, he comes um, with his fear at times of his enemies, um, and yet at the end of the time, even as he expressed his anger, even at God sometimes. He says, yet will I trust in the Lord, yet I will trust the Redeemer, the one who is my salvation. So be real before God and in a spirit of grace and humility when we come to each other, living authentically before God and each other, that honesty where there's grace and humility brings intimacy and closeness between uh, each other in families, in the church, in the workplace Uh, It doesn't matter where it is. If there's a spirit of grace and humility in both parties, then their intimacy will result, even when there's been uh, really difficult things happening that have alienated people. And so uh, out of that, um, we need uh, to let our decisions The words we speak, the actions, the ministries we get involved in flow out of that intimacy with God. And then the same thing as we relate to one another in the spirit of grace and humility, uh, then uh, we can act and live in ways that is building a building that will be a testimony uh, to the presence of Jesus in the the world, in the hills here in uh, Verdun and Mount Barker and the Adelaide Hills. But I want to emphasise the importance of that intimacy and authenticity in God's presence. Do you remember Mary and Martha in in the presence of Jesus? Martha, busy, busy, setting tables, sweeping floors, making nice, everything all all okay to do. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening, just being in his presence. And Jesus, uh, when Martha uh, complained and uh, was saying... How can you just let me do all this work? And Mary is just sitting at your feet. And she said, Martha, Martha, maybe you need to hear this word this morning. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Make time to be in the presence of God. Make time to find that place where you're real in God's presence. And... Uh, Allow God to minister his grace um, and his love to you. Thirdly, if we are to be uh, shaped by the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and all that he has done and who he is and all his actions, all his uh, work, things that he's done to show God's love to us, a key thing that is foundational is that we need to live with diversity. In Ephesians 2... The passage we've been looking at this morning, I preempted it by saying how Paul is writing about how Jews and Gentiles are now the two, if you like, cultures that were the furthest apart are now together as one uh, with their focus on on Christ. And uh, we too need to uh, be people who can accept and live with diversity if we are to be the kind of building, the kind of body of Christ, the kind of individual that is a place where God's spirit can be at work and God uh, can do what He wants to do. In Ephesians 2:13 to18, let me read um, these verses uh, again. Ephesians chapter 2,13 uh, to18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near uh, through the blood of Christ. And think of those people you might struggle with who are brothers and sisters in Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the, the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, And in this one body to reconcile uh, both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. uh, For through him we both have access to the same Father. Those Christians that you struggle with, they might not understand the Bible the same way as you. They may not have had the same experience of the Holy Spirit that you've had but they are a brother and sister in Christ and they are part of the same body of Christ that you are called uh, to be part of. And if we are to live with diversity, the first um, thing that's important to do that is that we need to focus on first order things and not on second order things. The first order things are the things that Paul is talking about in this passage in Ephesians. The grace of God, the cross of Christ, um, the blood of Christ shed for our sins, um, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, um, the fact that Christ is coming again. Not all the details that different people come up with, all sorts of sometimes crazy things. We focus on the fact that God's word is our authority, our relationship with God and each other, and the focus on God's kingdom. All these things are first-order things that we focus on uh, together. And then under those things, there can be all sorts of things that we might travel with a brother and sister who has a different point of view. Not far from here, probably 80, 70 or 80 years ago, Gummeracca Baptist Church birthed a new church plant, And the reason that happened at Kenton Valley, which is five minutes up the road. Some of you who live in the hills will know where I am talking about. This uh, Kenton Valley Church is now a home, and rightly so. But the uh, Gubberacca Baptist Church, 70 or 80 years ago, split over whether they would have open or closed communion. Whether people, one obviously group were very strong that only if you're a member of our church, you can take communion The other group was saying, no, it's open. If people love the Lord, they can come and take communion. Two churches were birthed. How crazy is that? Second order things. Have a robust conversation. Have a conviction. Don't be a wuss. But speak up uh, for what you believe. But don't divide the church over second order things. The Lutheran Church... um, Historically, again, 70, 80, maybe 100 years ago, I need to get the dates right on these things uh, before I preach it again. But there's multiple uh, Lutheran churches in a lot of towns um, and Tanunda was where I saw it for the first time. There's a Lutheran church on one side of the road, I don't know whether it's the other side or next to it, I can't remember, two Lutheran churches. What happened was, in the Lutheran movement, there were people who believed in a literal thousand year or literal millennium, There were people who believed it was more figurative of the reign of Christ in our lives, both now and for eternity, and the church divided. And there were whole buildings came up and divided the church. Second order things divided God's people. As I said earlier, um, have a robust conversation. We grow. It doesn't mean we all sit and pretend we don't have a different idea or a different understanding, but we grow and learn as we talk and share and wrestle with what God's word is saying. Other examples of second-order things. I talked about being embraced by the grace and love of God. The Calvinists would be really strong on all that God has done, almost like the description of a kiss, saying how God has loved us in the person of Jesus and have all their doctrines about God's embrace and love of us. And then there's those who are called Arminians and people in the Wesleyan-type movement who emphasize responding to God and coming forward in a rally and expressing and responding to God. There's whole movements and denominations that have been created around these two aspects. They're both part of the reality of what it means to be God's people. God in Christ has done everything to make us his children. It's the work of God. But we need to respond to that. And so it's a second-order issue. You don't divide the church. I know in Melbourne there was a church, a group of Calvinists left the church because they believed there wasn't enough people who were agreeing with what they thought. Second-order things that divide the body of Christ different interpretations on the second coming, on, on whether you're a literal creationist or not. Give people time to work through those issues. Don't divide the church over these second order things. Spiritual gifts, different understandings and different ways of thinking, different emphasis. Um, these things uh, can divide and historically have divided the church. Church practice and structures, um, things we do in church, um, how we expect God to be at work and the miraculous. There'll be some people who might come in and say, well, God's spirit isn't here until certain things are happening. Well, at least start by saying that God's spirit is here and God is doing things. And yes, there are other things he wants to do, but don't come and make it... make people feel they're the super apostles that Paul had to deal with who came into the church. A minister of Paul who was even sick to the point of dying at times because of uh, his circumstances was preaching the gospel and he had super apostles coming making, him, making people think that he just wasn't God's spokesman. Second order things dividing uh, the body of Christ and so vital for us as a community of faith If we are to be people who are going to bear witness to the living Christ and the love of God for all of humanity and see people come to faith, we need to live with diversity and learn from each other. Have robust conversations and, were, um, and allow God to speak and be humble enough to admit when you might have been wrong or you didn't have a full understanding of what uh, the scripture might have been saying that you got really uh, passionate about. Secondly, as part of living with diversity is that we uh, keep a priority of our, our people's relationship with God. Make sure that you see everybody you're talking to, however different they are, however different their theology, however different their uh, background in the church, um, see them as a child of God, someone loved by God, and, and respect them, even if you passionately disagree with them. Respect them as an equal child of God who is loved. Give priority to relationships. Even the prophets and the Old Testament uh as they spoke about the gross sins of the whole community and the people of God in not caring for orphans and widows and the alien and stranger who came to their borders, um, the prophet spoke up and said, "This is not how it should be amongst God's people." And uh, but they, even as they uh, spoke up what God's word was saying, they remained committed and even went into exile, when God disciplined people for their disobedience, they remained committed to the people of God because they were part of the community of faith. In my listening to lectures on Luther, I always just tended to assume that as he spoke the truth of the grace of God and salvation by faith alone, that he probably thought, well, I need to start a whole new movement, a whole new denomination who really have got the truth. It was one of Luther's weaknesses was he had to be right Uh, and he couldn't even work with other reformers who were very close to him and very, sorry, very close in their theology to him. But he had to be right and he couldn't work with someone who just disagreed with him. Um, So that was a weakness that he had. But Luther was committed Um, he had no desire to start a movement with all the evils of the church at the time a departure from the gospel of grace um, the abuse of indulgences and people buying forgiveness and just working people for their money and um, all the things uh, we could go through the different things Luther did not want to start another movement he was pushed out he was forced out eventually So our heart needs to be uh, one of priority of relationships with other people who are equally God's children as you are. And the only way this happens is where there's Christ-like humility. Familiar verses, Philippians 2, it says very clearly, straight from the scripture, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let him be the cornerstone, if you like, who being in the very nature of God, did not Consider equality with God something to be used uh, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient uh, to death, even the death on a cross. If you put truth, something you believe passionately, and pride together you will divide the church or you'll be alienated from your brother and sister. If you put truth with humility and grace, speak it passionately. Don't, as I said before, don't be a wimp. Speak up for what you believe. And as you speak those things, allow God's spirit as there's grace and humility in both parties, then the church will be stronger, the church will be more vital and a more powerful witness of, of of the presence of God uh, in the world. And finally, if we are to build our lives and our church on Christ alone, we need uh, to make Christ central, not a priority. I've deliberately put that in a provocative way. Jesus must be central, uh, not uh, a priority. Says in Colossians, not just a priority. Colossians 3 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If Jesus is just a priority, you've got God, you've got family, you've got work, you've got friends, you've got recreation. They're in some sort of hierarchy. And when you think you've done your God thing, you've come to church, you've been in life group. You've locked into the 6.30 Zoom prayer meeting every morning and then you go off and just spend the day doing your family thing, doing your work thing, uh, um, just uh, doing your friend thing, uh, playing football, basketball, tennis, whatever it is, the going sport of the time. All those things just become, oh, well, I've done my God thing, now I'm doing all these other things and it's just me and I'm enjoying this and there's no sense in which God is a part of it. The pie idea where Christ, God, our faith is just a little part of our lives, um, again, same idea, you end up just doing your church thing, doing your faith thing. In whatever little pie, have a big or small, that slice of the pie is, and the rest of it you think is just something that is separate. But look at the next uh, diagram where Christ is centre, influencing all things. School, work, recreation, church, relationships, family. When Christ is central, worship is about how you function in your family, what sort of husband you are, what sort of wife you are, what sort of child you are in your family, what, how you treat uh, people at work. All those things are an expression of Christ being present in your life. Christ is part of everything and this is the most radical uh, way to think about your faith. Unconsciously we've tried and often uh, many people do do this But by thinking of Christ as central and seeing it in this way, you can get the sense that God in Christ, his grace, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his spirit, um, the things that he wants to do through you, permeates everything in your life. And building on Christ and his kingdom alone challenges everything, as this diagram points out. It challenges your sexuality and how you express it, whether you're a single, married, struggle with gay Attraction, whatever it is, the presence of Christ will shape how you respond to that, how we function at work. It'll challenge your politics. Christ isn't separate from how you vote. The principles of who God is and who Christ is, the things of justice and mercy and compassion and care for those in need is something that needs to shape and allow Christ to be the one who shapes our vote and how we respond to political issues, our attitude to creation, what and how we do church, our family life, our attitude to refugees and the poor and the homeless here in Adelaide. All these things are permeated by the presence of Christ. And so our lives are radically transformed as the Spirit of God empowers us and gives us wisdom to know how uh, to live our lives in, in, in all these areas with Christ as central. The whole thing of the kingdom of God... Um, speaks to how we uh, do church, who Christ is, his grace, what his intention is uh, when uh, when Christ came as our saviour and redeemer to put his spirit within us. Uh, it says in Ezekiel how um, the time would come, speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit um, as, uh, as God's people um, are formed into a community. It says, I'll put by my spirit the desire to obey all the laws that uh, not in some legalistic sense, but simply to live out all that God intended when he gave Israel, uh, all, the, all the instructions. And he said, and it even said, if, if they followed the instructions that Israel was given, there would be no poor in the community of Israel. And I'm going to say in the church, if we live out the things that God uh, in Christ stands for, and as we live out all that God's heart is, then there will be no poor in the life of the church. God's kingdom is present. And Paul had to rebuke a group of people. We're coming to communion in a moment. And the musicians, if you like to come, uh, come ready for that. Um, I know for some of you have heard me refer to this before. But in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul gives a pretty strong rebuke to the Corinthian church. Because when they came together to share communion... There was no sense of them living out and expressing God's kingdom, the kind of things we have been talking about this morning. The rich brought their meals and ate and even got drunk apparently and the poor were going hungry and this is when they came supposedly with a focus of celebrating the Lord's Supper. You might say, well, how crazy is that? We would never do that. But there was a time where for three months I didn't take communion. I'd been and visited Christians in Bangladesh I'd seen people with a blue tarp and four sticks as a house and a sheet of iron feeding us as visitors there and would have been offended if they didn't feed us. And I spent three months wrestling with what does it mean for me not to feel guilty but to live out my faith in a country where, like Australia where I am so blessed. And God calls us to wrestle with as a church, as individuals, what does it mean for his kingdom to shape how we do church, and how we as individuals express the heart of God uh, for for all people, um, in uh, in verse um, 11, uh, in chapter 11, uh, in verse starting at verse 17, Paul gives a strong rebuke. Uh, to the church. He said, I have no praise for you because you aren't expressing my kingdom. I won't read the whole passage now. I think I've summarized it and I encourage you to go and read these verses later and allow God uh, to speak to you. But the kingdom values, the person of Jesus, the grace and the love and the mercy of God, which is designed to set our heart free to express all that God intended for all of humanity when he created us, to care for one another, to support one another, to be there for each other, uh, to, show, to be in relationship with each other. The spirit of God and the grace of God expressed in Christ that we remember as we eat the bread and cup is what God sets free when his spirit is alive uh, within our hearts. And Paul said, quoting Jesus, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, and on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant uh, in my blood. Um, The covenant expressed all the things we've been talking about this morning. Um, Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. If you're at home, if you're online, you may like to uh, just um, grab a glass and some bread and just with your family, or if you're alone, or with other people, just to celebrate and spend a few moments. Um, And I'm encouraging you as you receive the bread and cup um, that you reflect on a key question that helps us as a community of faith and as individuals to become more aligned with the foundation and the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Reflect on what Christ has done and how it is shaping your heart and relationships as you take the bread and cup this morning. Reflect on the embrace of God's love in the person of Jesus on the cross. A statement of the most powerful statement of love in all history. Let that sink into your heart as you take the bread and cup this morning. There'll be people at the table with a hygiene glove on who will just hand the wafer to you um, and if you just choose uh, one of the disposable cups we'll put them in the bin as we go, uh, just come quietly as you feel ready, and then come back to your seat and just reflect quietly what is God saying to you about um, your own heart, your attitude to others, how you're living your life in all areas of life? What is God saying and what are you going to change as you remember the love of Christ expressed in His death? Shed blood, broken body. Incredible expression of love. Let that transform you. Uh, some of you may remember the song, uh, The Power of His Love. Um, it's so powerful when we, that the way to avoid legalism in living out our faith is let the power of the love of Christ transform your life. I'm going to pray and then invite you to come as you feel ready to receive the bread and cup. Father, we thank you that you've reached out to embrace us with your grace and your love in the person of Jesus. You gave the ultimate expression of that love uh, in the shed blood and the broken body of our Lord Jesus. Lord, may we see that as a statement of your love. May we soak up and be drenched in that love, Father, that we'll realize how amazing you are and how much you've embraced us. And Lord, may we, by the power of your Spirit, Begin to live out more what it means to reflect Christ in all areas of our lives. And Father, most of all, in this moment, speak to us of your grace and your embrace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just come as you feel ready. There's gluten-free at the back. uh, With Jan at the back there. And uh, just the two tables here on my left and right. Just come quietly, uh, receive the bread and cup, and then just come back to your seat and allow God to speak to you as you meditate and reflect on the love of God for you. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.